Hi, I'm Brittany. And I'm Kami. And this is the Deeply Rooted Homeschool. The heart behind this podcast is to encourage and equip you as you start or continue your homeschool journey. If you are considering homeschooling or are new to homeschooling, we created this podcast with you in mind to answer common questions. If you're just finding us, you'll want to go back and catch up on our past episodes. Thanks for joining us today. Welcome to the Deeply Rooted Homeschool. Today on the podcast, we're going to be talking with our friend Kiki about her more traditional approach to homeschooling, as opposed to the classical model that we've delved into with Amy on episode four and five, and there's more Charlotte Mason that we delved into with Anna on episode six. If you're interested in those models, we encourage you to go back and listen to those episodes. But Kiki's here with us today. So Kiki is a wife and a homeschool mom of five boys. She's been homeschooling them all from the start. I've known Kiki for many years now. She and her husband were and still are the campus pastors with the student ministry where I was involved at the university where I attended. In fact, my husband and I met on a retreat with their group. At the time, her oldest son was just a baby. And this makes me feel so old, but he just turned 17. Uh, Kiki makes having five boys look so easy. And I can't wait to hear some of the wisdom that I know she is going to share with us. So welcome, Kiki. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Okay, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your family? Sure. So, um, like you said, I do have five boys, and um, I was trying to think about like some of the most common questions I have whenever I walk around and five po- boys trail me um, wherever I go. And uh, the most common question I have, and and I get all the time, is, "Are they all yours?" Quickly followed by, "Are they all?" boys. And then my least favorite is, um, were you trying for a girl? And yes, they are all boys. Yes, they're all mine. And no, we were never trying for a girl. We just always trusted that God would make the best decision. And we prayed for a baby. So super, super thankful with the family that God's blessed us with. Um, like you said, Court just turned 17 and he's going to be a senior. And then I have a 14 year old boy who will be a freshman. His name's Lane. Kaysen is 11 and will be a sixth grader. Quaid is eight and will be a third grader. And Ransom, my baby, is five and going to be a kindergartner. So as I look at my upcoming fall, I see uh, just a ton of emotion. Just uh, it's going to be an emotionally charged year as I graduate my first senior and also teach my last kindergartner. So that is kind of the boy crew that I lead, and uh, I'm just super thankful for him, and I'm thankful that I've been able to homeschool him from the beginning. So Kiki, when did you decide to start homeschooling, and what made it seem like a good fit for your family? What was that process like? Well, um, so I graduated with an elementary education degree, and so that is kind of where my love for teaching started. And uh, even though I graduated with that, I never thought that I would uh, homeschool my kids. It just wasn't even in my thoughts at all. Um, I enjoyed teaching. Um, I also nannied a lot. I was just always around kids, came from a big family, always hoped that um, I would have a big family. And so the number of five boys did not surprise me. Um, But I just realized that the sooner, um, the closer we got to uh, school age with my oldest boy, I just realized that I truly was the best teacher for him. And um, I just kept thinking, well, I can teach him kindergarten. Like, you can't mess up kindergarten. I was a kindergarten teacher in the public schools. So I guess it wasn't a scary thought to me to just go ahead and and give it a a try. And so um, as kindergarten approached, 
I really truly was praying about it on my own. And I, I guess I thought the big hiccup would be trying to convince my husband. And as we were laying in bed one night, I just vividly remember him just turning to me and saying, well, what if you would homeschool? And I seriously about fell out of bed. Um, I've realized um, what an incredible support system a spouse needs to be when you are homeschooling. It isn't impossible to have your spouse uh, on board with you, but it definitely is helpful if um, if your spouse is in full support. Um, it's just... It, it's it's needed as you go through the bumps of homeschooling. But um, when he suggested that, I just knew that it was at least something we needed to try. And so as we went forward with homeschooling, our deal was always that we would pray every school year and with every boy added that um, it would be the thing we were supposed to do or not do. And we just always had peace and it always just fit into our family life so well that it just, it never has come into question again that we would do anything different. That's powerful. It's true. I, I mean, I hear some people like they really want to and then their spouse is like, absolutely not. Or you mess this up. They're going back to public school in the fall, you know, like that kind of thing. Or like if they don't get this grade and I just can't imagine having that pressure. Like it's enough pressure already when you're trying to school and do everything anyways that I, you know, I, I think you could homeschool even without their support, but I cannot imagine it would just be for sure. Not fun. Okay, so five boys, all ages this year, from all the way at the top, all the way down to kindergarten. Um, I can't even imagine that it's easy to actually accomplish anything with that many <laughs> with that many kids. Um, I know that your boys are all involved in sports and extracurricular activities, and not to mention you're very involved in your co-op. So can you give us a little bit of a window into what your typical day? I know not every day is typical. There's rarely a typical day, but um, are you more of a strict schedule or a loose routine kind of homeschool mom? And which subjects do you feel like you must get done every day? Um, I'm a creature of routine and I, as well as the boys, always function best when we have routine, but yet anybody that's homeschooled for any amount of time can tell you that there's no typical day, um, unless I'm crazy and there are typical days and we're just missing them. But um, I have found that with the boys, um, if we set up before the semester ever starts, I always try and sit down and just jot down what our schedule is going to be for every day. Like, you know, when does soccer practice fall? When do piano lessons fall? When does math outside our home, our two oldest boys take at a different co-op? And so um, when do those things fall? And once I get that all written down, I can plug usually two days and just pull those and be like, these are the days, typically Monday and Wednesday, where we plan nothing. And so Monday and Wednesday are full-on home days. They are completely routine. They're completely predictable. We don't schedule play dates. We don't schedule doctor's appointments. We don't run errands. We are home a lot of times in our pajamas, but completely doing school, completely um, just set in routine and leave days like Tuesday, which is always just a little bit more discombobulated for running errands and setting appointments. And once we're out of the house, we just tend to to stay out of the house. Not that that means no school happens, but it might look like an audiobook, or it might look like math at night with daddy, or it might look like, you know, just something on the fly in the doctor's office. They're working on phonics. It just it just looks different than that just routine of a Monday, Wednesday. Thursday is our co-op day. And so it's basically a full-on school day, you know, with pack lunches and uniforms and and um, teachers of other 
sorts of moms. And so we're basically out of the house most of the day from like eight to two. And by the time we're done with that, no real school happens at the end of that day. And Fridays, I really like to leave open. Even with having the older boys, I've found that if we can kick it really hard on the beginning of the week, sometimes Friday can be a half day or an off day, like even for the little kids for field trips or friends coming over or just a bonus family day, which I think you need to make sure that you take advantage of when you homeschool because that's part of what homeschooling is. But but I thought that was really encouraging because there are so many moms that, that come to us and I'm sure come to you that are looking for, okay, no, seriously, tell me how. Mm-hmm. Like, what does this look like? And yeah. so you just laid that out. And I feel like in a way that somebody could easily take that and plug in their own, like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, well, yeah. Because this day is usually busy for us, mm-hmm. or this day, you know, my husband does this or whatever. Um, so I feel like that that probably gives people a lot of freedom. Right. I feel like they most people think, well, from eight to three, you have to be doing school full time. And it's like, I might have had that mindset at the beginning, but it, now sometimes they're Saturday school. Like if we totally fluff off, like we do school on Saturday, sometimes Sunday afternoons. I mean, it definitely gets done. It just doesn't always look the same. You know, and I know you guys are the same mm-hmm. way. It's just, I yeah. just can't imagine doing something different. And I like the idea of having those protected days at home. Yes. And I, I have to do the same thing. I yeah. think that Mondays and Wednesdays typically, yeah. Wednesdays especially, we're home. We yes. don't go places. We yeah. live kind of out of town. Yeah. So we don't go to town on Wednesdays. Yes. And that's our day. Yeah. We stay in our pajamas, we clean the house, and yeah. we do school together. Yeah. And that's super important because they have to have like a feeling of school too, you know. <clears throat> yeah, they do. To where that, yeah. that's good. Yeah, yeah, and I think it helps us to just have those days when you don't go mm-hmm. and do. Mm-hmm. You know, you just you just rest, mm-hmm. you know, because I feel like even, you know, our kids' hearts need that sometimes. Yes, no, without like, a doubt. And, like, I want them to love home. And, uh, I mean, I have five boys and even, you know, Court, like, he he loves to be home. Like, he, it, it's not uncommon that he'll be home on a Friday night. Like, he just – it's not unnatural for him to think, oh, well, it's – teenage boys don't hang out at home you know like home is where he hangs like that's where he will be and I don't know it's just different and I think too you saying the thing about the five kids like I think it's hard to be home but oh my goodness I can't imagine running bus lines for five kids at three different schools or um I I don't know and I don't ever want to like throw public school because sometimes that's all they know Mm-hmm. And so I don't ever want, but I'm like, I, I would much rather be home with my five kids, even on a crazy day, than be waking up babies from nap to go pick up big brother and ah, no thanks. <laughs> and it's going to make your, your mama heart feel good that you're grown child mm-hmm. wants to be home he does. like you have no, uh, you've yeah. set this up yeah like you've done something right yeah that at the end yeah they want to be home with you they do yeah it is so sweet because he's starting to job shadow a land surveyor he's thinking maybe he's gonna he's going in that direction and the number one thing he said when he came home from shadowing that job was and mom i can take my kids with me oh my goodness he's like mom i can take my kids with you and like it can be a family job like i mean like you know like if it's a close job i can take him and eat him for lunch and meet my wife and then like you know send him home and like it's a totally different mindset to where he already is thinking doesn't even have a girlfriend but is already thinking you know this is what i want my family life to look like and i just i pray my daughter-in-laws love me (laughs) (laughs) 
I pray they just love me and they see all the effort because there's a lot of effort. There is a lot of effort. (laughs) So I want to pick up on something that you said a minute ago, and that's that you kind of have to fight to be home. And I think that that is a stark contrast to what most people think about Mm -hmm. when they think about homeschooling is Mm -hmm. that they're just always at home and they never go anywhere. But I know all three of us at this table, that's not the reality and that you do have to fight to be home and to protect that time. And I just, I think that that's interesting. Mm -hmm. No, without a doubt. I just don't think our society thinks of home as being a safe haven. And I think um, people just compare their lives to others, others. And they think that, well, you know, neighbors are going and going and they're involved in all this. And there's just, you know, just a weird sense of competition and and busyness. And um, I I think that's something that, that can, and and usually does set homeschoolers apart is um, there's just a different, uh, a different focus put on the actual being of home and savoring home and uh, making home important. So one thing, Kiki, that I've always noticed about your family and admired, um, as I've seen your family grow and change over the years, is that you guys have such a strong sense of family identity. Um, your your people know that they're your people and that I can see them in public and I know that they are Kiki's son. Like I know that because of how they're acting and how they carry themselves. What do you think that you have done over the years to create or to foster that? And um, what are ways that you strengthen those bonds between your kids and between you as, as the parent and your kids? Well, I tried to think back about when uh, my husband, Matt, and I decided that it was okay to be different. And I couldn't really pinpoint a time um, that that really stood out, but I feel like that has kind of become our mantra, just that um, it really is okay to look and be different, whether it's saying no to the soccer season and just getting out of the rat race a little bit to, to catch your breath, or whether it's homeschooling, or whether, you know, here we are a family of all boys and we've never owned a gaming system just because we know um, the addiction that lies there and we know that that's not where we want our boys' minds and hearts to be focused. And so even though it feels like a hard no sometimes at the beginning, we know that that difference sets us apart and that it's noticeable. And it's definitely nothing that like we're prideful about, but we try and show the boys that... um, as they grow older and, and, and we look at, you know, different friends they've had along the way or different situations they've been in and how they've responded, we really can usually chalk it up to um, we've never tried to be just like everybody else. And um, I feel like a lot of times there's a lot of even parental peer pressure where we think that kids are dealing with it and we're trying to protect our kids. But I think sometimes it's hard for parents to stand up against other parents and just say no to busyness or no to one extra thing or, or um, signing their family up for one more commitment. And um, I think if you just keep your center, you know, on God and just preaching at your kids that it's okay to be different and look different, and that's really what we're called to be, that um, they'll grow up with that and that they'll, they'll see that it really is okay. That's hard though. Like that's something that <laughs> it we, we have to try to cultivate oh, that. Anytime like Matt and I feel the pressure, it's usually because we're feeling the pressure. Mm-hmm. Right. The kids are fine. Right. The kids are fine. But it's like, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, you hear this, this talk on the sidelines, you know, oh, they're, they're doing this. Are we doing, no, we're not doing that. Like, of course we're not doing that. That's not what we, that's not, that's we not who we are. Yes. Yeah. But we have to remind each other. Because sometimes Matt's getting pulled one way and I have to be like, no, you know, but it's, it's made mm-hmm. like marriage. It's just, yeah. he's usually strong when I'm not and vice yeah. versa. And 
Do y'all have like a a family mission statement or something that you come back to all the time? Nothing formal? Nothing formal. You know, we talked about that at our co-op in one of the classes I taught. And one of the families had a really sweet one. And it's always been my goal. Oh, I want to have that. Um, but we just never have, you know, I'm actually really, really encouraged that you don't. Me yeah. too. That's what because I was going to say. Here you are, you're like, you've got all these, in, these encouraging things to say about yeah. your family. You know, it's okay to look and be different and, you know, all of that stuff, but you don't have a, a like a formal mission statement. I think that's really great. <laughs> well, I think it's shifting though. Like even as the boys uh-huh. grow older, you know, it's hard to have a five-year-old and a 17-year-old and just like, have it be the same. Like, I guess when they were all younger, it would be easy. I, and not that we couldn't have had one, but I have been, you know, I have thought about it and I have, we have talked about it. It's just never, Matt, that isn't Matt's thing. But you have values. Yeah. I would say values. I would you hope. Have, you have the things. Yeah. You know? I, I hope so. Maybe without it being written down. Right. You know? Yes. Right. You know who you are, you yeah. know who you are, you know, all of yeah. that. And that's, that's important. Yeah. Okay. So all ages of kids. Mm-hmm. That can be such a challenge, especially for new homeschool mamas to have a baby or toddler and be attempting to get their older kids to sit down and pay attention and get schoolwork done. That's maybe not as much of a struggle for you now as when your kids were a little younger. But can you talk to us about how you managed to get school done during a season when you had babies and toddlers around? Well, I'm definitely a creature of routine. And I do feel like I, I, I always have set that well in our home. Um, I function better. The boys seem to function better. So definitely was a napper. Um, had the boy, you know, had the boys on a strict nap schedule, a strict quiet time schedule. Um, I also uh, really, I guess, setting people up for success is kind of what I like to think of it as. I'm going to try and set the boys up for success. So, um, you know, I will get school ready the night before and each of my older boys will have a stack of school you know with their lesson plan book on top and so it's nothing I have to mess with in the morning so the younger boys kind of get my attention as the older boys are taking off after job and breakfast and 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 their piano lessons and all that stuff they're able to just take off without needing me for anything Um, once my boys have hit that real fluent reading um, age you know usually second third grade they really don't even look at me until probably 10 30 11 in the morning they just they have their work they know what to do and that really just gave me that free time with the younger kids to to set them up for success and love on them and and do laundry with them and bath with them you know just stuff that that was important to get them going um i also just uh would come up with a list whenever I was making a list for what our days were going to look like for staying home and being gone. I would always come up with like a new list each semester, like with just creative, silly things that I could, I could fall back on if everything else was failing, whether it was, you know, filling up a kitchen sink with soap and all the spoons in the house for the kid to stand on a bench and wash or, um, you know, rice on the driveway and everyone goes out on the driveway, you know, that needs me and, and while the baby plays there or just audiobooks. Oh my goodness. My boys, if you can get a baby to keep headphones on, um, my littles probably starting at like 18 months would sit there and just listen to audiobooks. And I mean, who can be mad at audiobooks? I just think I'd much rather have my young child listening to an audiobook and using their imagination than sitting in front of a show. And not that shows were never used, because they definitely were. But um, I just always try to be set up for success. I guess that's the only thing I can fall back on is having a plan and not waking up to crazy, because you usually wake up to crazy, and just not having somewhere to go with it. Um, setting the big boys up, 
having them have a plan and a routine and then, you know, kind of being willing to give myself to the little boys until, you know, it was nap time. That was probably my secret to success. And then so you capitalize on that nap time and yeah. come back with the bigger kids yes. then. Yep. And that's when we would do like our read aloud science. And if for some reason the little, you know, littles weren't sleeping or whatever, they would always just join in. Like you wouldn't think apology of science would be that exciting, but you give them a crayon and a piece of paper and tell them to draw what they hear. And there's hearts and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And, oh, we use a whiteboard. And I mean, my kids as young as like two or three, like they would just start writing down what they saw and it was never in the right order. But it was always, you know, what it, it meant something to them. And um, and they 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 glean like you'd be amazed how much little kids glean. And as much as they want to do school when they're two and three, it fades <laughs> as they get older. But my my most like hungry learners are always the youngest ones. They always want to be doing what the older kids are doing, even if the older kids don't want to be doing what the older kids are doing. <laughs> so so somebody that is looking for like tips and tricks you you would say set yourself up for success mm-hmm. not to wake up to crazy type of thing that type of thing stay up five minutes later stay up five minutes later at night and get get school set out have your plan made don't think you're going to wake up earlier than the kids because you won't mm-hmm. uh, or, or i never did um don't don't think oh well i'll do it in the morning like on those days that you're going to be home have a plan like look at your lesson plans kind of see what the day is supposed to hold and then even like for the little kids, one thing I do is um, I kind of set up stations like, you know, say in the playroom, I'd put out Duplos and in their bedroom, I'd put out, oh man, uh, name another toy, Thomas the Train. And then in my bedroom, I'd put out blocks or something and they just knew they could go to those three places and play. And then, you know, I might swap them out and, and put them someplace else or, you know, there's a thousand things you can do to just keep it new and entertaining. And and my little boys always love to wake up and see where what was set up where. And it didn't take much to do. It just took a little forethought. That's really sweet. That's really sweet. And I feel like that's what a lot of people are, are wondering. Like, you know, I've got a lot of friends with, you know, little, little toddlers that are like right under their feet mm-hmm. all day long. And they're mm-hmm. like, how can I teach when this one is crawling mm-hmm. on me? Mm-hmm. But that's really fun. Like the surprise of it all. Yeah. That's yeah. really sweet. Yeah. And I've definitely had friends that say, you know, they keep certain toys back that the kids can only play with during school. And that totally, you know, has worked. And, and I encourage that too. You know, I think that's great. Our toys just are kind of, we just have a toy room and the boys know where everything basically is. We don't have them all over the place. And so it just seemed to help to move stuff about. But even doing something like, um, one thing my four-year-old loves mm-hmm. is I will dump all the puzzles out in the middle of the yes. floor and then line the boards up yeah. around the rug. Yeah. And he has to go, all the pieces are mixed together and he has yeah. to figure out which one goes to which puzzle. Yes. And that will keep him entertained yes. for hours yes. while yes. we're doing school. No, I've done that with silverware. I've pulled all the silverware out of a drawer. Like my five-year-old, I mean, last year he was four, but he just loves to organize, like pull the Tupperware out of the drawer just be like, have fun. And I mean, they think they're really doing something great. Yeah. And you know, they are. <laughs> it entertains them. Yeah. And it keeps them out of your hair while you're doing yes, school with the others. Exactly. All right. So Kiki, let's talk about curriculum a little bit. A lot of people have reached out to us asking us about the type of curriculum that we use. And I think when you're just getting started, there are so many choices and that can feel so overwhelming. You don't even know where to start. People want to know which subjects you actually 
purchase curriculum for. Um, and you seem like you come towards homeschooling with a little bit more of a traditional curriculum and co-op type of approach. Um, do you mix and match curriculum brands across subjects or do you use all of one brand? And which specific subjects do you teach your boys? I definitely mix and match. I have my favorites. Um, I definitely uh, am not afraid to switch it up. And I even have found so much that um, the way one boy learns math is not the way another boy learns math. And I can't imagine if there was a girl in the mix because I definitely feel like there's different giftings for boys versus girls and on down the line. And so even just having all five boys, I can see that um, they learn differently and at different speeds. And so um, I've never been afraid to mix it up. Um, There are definitely ones I love. Um, Because I was a kindergarten teacher before I started homeschooling, I just fell in love with uh, Explode the Code for Phonics. So that is one that I start like from K4, K3, K4. And uh, they will, the boys will do a new book a semester, like through probably fourth grade is about when it ends. But I have found that um, it is one when you mix with lots of reading, lots of audiobooks, lots of just exposure to words that um, you will just uh, breed children that love to read. Um, it's just a fun curriculum. It's super cheap eight bucks off Amazon. You don't even have to get it from, you know, like a book supplier. It's just really easy to get your hands on. And I I have suggested it to so many people. So that is probably like my number one love for young kids and one that um, I really push because I feel like once you get kids reading and having um, some uh, kind of success on their own, it just, they just take off from there. And not that they don't need you for other subjects, But reading is just so paramount. So that would be the one for the youngers. Um, I definitely, uh, if there were three subjects that I would make, make, encourage the boys to do on a daily basis, it's definitely reading and writing of some sort, whether it's journaling or practicing cursive or writing a letter or um, making a list, like just anything that that's going on in our day, just depending on the day. I definitely, um, boys need to write um, in general. Uh, They just, it's not their favorite thing to do. And so um, they definitely write every day. They read every day and they do math, some sort of math. And I even like to stretch math out into the summer. Um, I'm never mad if a subject isn't uh, 100% complete by uh, school year's end because I find that um, if you can even draw things out into the summer and do it, you know, two, three times a week, um, you are going to go back into the school year with such um, more on top of it kids, kids that have retained more, kids that aren't forgetting what they've missed in, in three months. It's not that I'm not for some sort of break. When we go on vacation, we leave everything behind no matter what time of year it is. Um, I think that's important. We we bring books, but never um, school on vacation. There, there's time for breaks, but I, I don't see summer as being like a full break from school. So um, one of my thoughts with math, as far as curriculum goes, is um, I really like to switch up math like every year or two. Um, I feel like I will do a basic overhaul of math for my like elementary to middle school kids. And uh, whether it's they're all doing Horizons one year, they're doing Life of Fred, they're doing Matthew C. Um, I just like to swap it out because, again, I feel like math is one of those things that I think some kids could learn it very basically just just the way it's laid out. And then other other times they need manipulatives and other times they just learn different. And so I just, I'm always trying to think of going wide. 
Um, so anytime I can go wide, that's what I try and do and just offer as much, much exposure and as many different learning styles as possible. And then um, once my boys reach seventh grade, I actually send them to a different co-op for uh, math. And they have just the most amazing and uh, creative math teacher at this co-op. And she has taught my boys from seventh grade on up, which is really great because it's not my strong suit. And um, I feel like I can get them to about seventh grade. And then I, <laughs> then I, I'm very happy to have her answer all of their questions and meet with them one-on-one and you know, they answer to her for everything. And so that is just something I'm super thankful for. Um, grammar is something, el- another one that I think has kind of fallen by the wayside, but I really, really, really like um, first language lessons um, for uh, just that beginning grammar stuff that I've even forgotten that I think it just drives home so many rules and so many thoughts into how language is written that I, again, think helps into reading. Um, I, so I really, uh, recommend that one. And then spelling, like we do, um, IEW, uh, excellence in, in writing is just one of my all time favorites for, um, writing, which they get at the co-op that we go to, but they have a spelling program called phonetic zoo that, um, is very, um, just self paced, um, that it's, it's like a three, a three year, I would say, um, program, but you know, depending on what kind of a speller you are, it can, it can go shorter than that. And it can also go longer just because it's kind of self-paced. So those are the things that I really hit at home. I hit, um, I hit writing like handwriting. Um, they do math at home until seventh grade. Um, we do grammar and, um, what else I say? Spelling. Spelling would be, um, the other thing. Uh, as well as phonics and writing kind of thing. So um, I, I've found that there's kind of an argument always between handwriting and cursive and what what they prefer. And I have three boys that are absolutely awesome printers and two that cannot print to save their lives. And so we just moved on to cursive with them. And I really think that cursive is a lost art. And um, I think it's so important because I think it just works your brain so much differently than just regular penmanship. And so my two boys that do cursive are just my creative boys, my more creative boys, and the boys that their brains just work generally different. And so I just think it's super interesting that um, I've had the time and uh, the ability to kind of notice that about them and be able to invest in something as simple as just a handwriting curriculum for them just to see how it expands their thought. And, um, yeah, so that's what they get all at home. And then at our co-op, there's always a history block, a literature block, a science block, a writing block, and then an elective block. And, um, that elective block can be anything from cooking class to sign language class to entrepreneurship or businesses missions. It can be, drama it can be it just is whatever the the moms are are feeling like they want to teach um because we're a, a full mom taught co-op um if you your kid goes to co-op you're there teaching all day and so it's kind of whatever the moms are feeling at that point and and if they want to offer those classes that's what their um their final elective class is I'm taking notes mainly because yeah. I want to go, which we do IEW for writing yeah, too, yeah, and yeah. I love IEW, oh but I've never done phonetic oh, zoo. Oh, so I'm like, so hmm. good. It's a little expensive to buy, like it's a hundred dollars a disc. Mm-hmm. But if you're starting with your first, I mean, it's well worth it because it's just 
like you might notice that uh, your son just will like breathe through it super fast because it's just like basically you listen to the disc they have earphones on which again is a big deal they put in the computer it's I'm not even a part of it they have a notebook they learn the rule and they have to write it out you know and uh, once they get 100% on a test twice they move on and so they could do three lessons in a week you know or right. two lessons but then they might hit a really hard lesson and it might take them a little yeah, bit yeah yeah but it's so good and then when I feel like the boys are stalling out or sick of that I pull out the good old bananagrams yeah. and I'm like, you guys can, you know, bananagram, spell those words. You don't have to write and listen every day, but you can do bananagrams or we'll do like oral so spelling tests or whatever. Like I try and mix it up so that it's not completely always the same. Right. But even, you know, I feel like with curriculum, if you're just a little bit, like even with those explode the code books, like I always add in stuff. Like I always make them split compound words or whatever. Once they get kind of more comfortable with it, I try and add a little bit because mm-hmm. I'm not a huge like workbook them to death. Mm-hmm. Um, fan but I feel like you know you can always be just a little bit do a little bit more than the even what the books than what we need yeah mm-hmm. um yeah my six-year-old is not paying at print very well uh-huh. he he taught himself sure while <laughs> while I was teaching you know my oldest mm-hmm. to read and write you know my my very first experience yes. with this as well and I was all in on him yes thinking you know little brother is playing yes. or whatever um, well, little brother wasn't playing. Little brother was teaching himself to read and write. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so he came in knowing how to read. Sure. And and I'm just going back like, well, what do I teach you now? Like, yeah. Oh, oh, but you write really weird, you know, weird sure. to me. Sure. Because, you know, you, you write in such a way. Uh-huh. You write from the top to bottom and, you, you know, it, it's supposed to look a certain way or whatever. And he's over there writing from the bottom up uh-huh. and uh-huh. doing his own thing. And then I find that he's wanting to add, he's wanting to make it cursive. Like sure. he's wanting to make his own thing. So hearing you say that, mm-hmm. just move on. Mm-hmm. Just yeah, move it, on. Try something else. Like his, I, his brain yeah. is different. Yeah. He's a creative kid and he really is a creative kid. So to hear you say yes. that yep. it turns out those yep. are your more creative minded kids. It really And yeah. that's okay. And if you could find like what interests him, like, so my older, <clears throat> my older of the creative boys, um, he is like a history guru, like absolutely just soaks in everything history. Mm-hmm. I mean, he would write cursive all day, but my goodness, I got my hands on classical conversations, history-based cursive. That kid is like writing out the Declaration of Independence in cursive, and he's writing out the Mayflower Compact. And it, it's not just something he's writing, like he's making this beautiful art, like he's trying to write like the founding fathers. And it's just beautiful to see, like I, you don't see many 14 year old boys who are, you know, trying to do, to create something beautiful. You know, they might, they might be more drawn to a computer. And, and I do think there's time for typing and there's time for definitely learning how to, how to do that kind of thing. And that falls into place. But I just think writing is a lost art. And I've always just encouraged my boys to keep a journal. That's their summer writing is they keep a journal. And, you know, when we travel or when we, whatever, they're always writing. I'm just always trying to foster that because I don't think it's the first thing that boys fall to. So I'm always kind of trying to teach their weakness. Okay, so I have a question about that mm-hmm. um, because I want to encourage my oldest to to write in mm-hmm. a journal. Mm-hmm. 
but I don't know how to direct them in that. How do you, how do you direct them? Like, here's your journal, start writing. Like, what do you, what do you say? Well, sometimes I give them something to write about. Like sometimes, you know, we'll have just gotten back from something field trip-ish, you know, uh, or something that's just kind of sparked something in my mind that I think they should have something to say about it. And I'll encourage that. Sometimes it's just, um, if they're not feeling like writing, I'm fine with them drawing something and then writing about what they drew. You know, sometimes they just don't want to write and I'm not... I try to not frustrate them. You know, the Bible verse about not frustrating or nagging, like I think we all struggle with it. And when you're trying to be both teacher and mom, I think it can just be such a fine line between, um, you know, when they need to follow your direct order or when you can kind of make something work better for them. I really, I'm not always good at it, but I do try to not frustrate them and to kind of just go with, okay, you don't feel like writing today, you know, sketch something, write something short about what you've sketched. I just want you to remember this trip, this park, this moment. Um, and, and the little journals that we have from years of even travel, like when we've been overseas, my goodness, they go back, they will pull out those Africa journals and all of their stories are right there. And you can't, you can't buy that. Like you can't go back and, and you think you're going to remember stuff. Your kids, they think, oh, I'll remember that always. And you just don't. And so I just think writing and it's such a lost art that we need to keep fostering. Can I interject something here? So I'm an OT. We've, mm-hmm. we've talked about that before. But um, in something that I did for one of my continuing ed mm-hmm. courses, I uh, it was about handwriting. Mm-hmm. And when you write something by hand, sure. it's the equivalent of reading it seven times. I it. So it digs that yep. groove that much deeper into your brain. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so important to, for those, like you were talking about the Mayflower Compact yes. and the Declaration of Independence. Yes. It's so important to write those yes. things. It helps you to memorize yes. them. Nope. Memories so. or those things as well. Yeah. No, and absolutely. I mean, this is a whole other, we don't have to talk about this here, but... Um, <laughs> But also the cursive, if you have a kid that has sensory issues or struggles with dyslexia or any Mm -hmm. other learning disability Mm -hmm. at all, cursive is much easier for them because it only goes in one direction. You can't go backwards with it. So if you're listening and you have Mm -hmm. a kid like that, Mm -hmm. cursive may be a little bit easier for you. Don't fight the print battle. Teach them cursive. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know some schools just aren't even touching cursive anymore. And, and I don't, I personally think it's kind of sad. I think, I, I, I know they can't. They can't um, teach um, separate things to each kid, but I feel like that's one thing that as homeschool moms, we can notice something in our kids and, and my, go wide with it. You know, like it doesn't have to look the same for every kid, even in our own family. Um, it can look different and that's okay. And um, that's what makes you the best teacher for your own kid. That's the freedom of homeschooling so is that you can do that yep. for your kids. That's yep. true. Okay, Kiki. So just to summarize real quick, because you have given us so much good stuff. You said that you do four subjects for the most part at your house, mm-hmm. right? That's so right. math, English grammar, spelling, and handwriting. Right. And then you outsource history, science, those things at your co-op. Is that's that right? right. Yeah. Okay. Yep, that's right. Just okay, so off the record, we were kind of talking, and you mentioned that your son is taking the ACT, your oldest son yes. right now. So tell me a little bit about that process. How are y'all? How are y'all handling the ACT in college and whatever comes next? As you're, you've got a senior this year. 
Well, I definitely think it's a different dog than what it was uh, when I was in high school. Um, when I was in high school back in the 90s, it was I took the ACT one time and it was a free ACT given by my high school. I didn't open the packet. I didn't study. I feel like that was kind of the common thing. I spent the night at a friend's house the night before, woke up and took the ACT and that was the end of it. Um, it got me into college, surely didn't get many uh, scholarship opportunities because of my score, but it, I didn't know too many people that did. And I feel like nowadays there's so many different directions you can go with ACT. And I'm honestly curious how much longer the ACT is going to be a thing. I'm definitely not an expert, but I just feel like, um, there's just such a pull towards ACT prep classes and ACT prep courses and, there's just so much offered to people who can't afford it or parents that are super involved and that care um, that it kind of leaves um, another sect of kids who are just um, stuck with the one-time ACT. And I, to me, I'm always a fairness person and that just doesn't feel fair. Um, I, I know that you can take it up to 12 times. I mean, you have to pay for it. But you can take it up to 12 times uh, and you have to be done by Christmas uh, or the December time of your senior year of high school. You can't take it beyond that and have it count. And so that's kind of where the pressure lies. And um, they've also started introducing something called super scoring, which I think is fairly new and not every college or university has adopted, but most are headed that way where you can take, you know, your best four scores from any given test. It doesn't have to be from the same test. So some kids might, you know, study, study, study the math section and go in and flub the rest of it, but get, you know, a super high score on math and you use that grade or that score. And then you will study, study, study science for the next test, you know, uh, take all four, but get a super high score in science. And again, a fairness thing. I'm not sure it's fair or not, but if you're willing and able to do it that way, you can do it. And so Court has taken it several times, I think three times, and um, he definitely has shown improvement each time. And I think for a $50 test, if it's equaling scholarship money that he will indeed need to pay for his college as he will be paying for his own college, as my husband and I both did, um, we just keep encouraging him that every point equals extra money and more money that he will not have to pay uh, in the to, to the tune of you know college debt and college loans and so that's the way we encourage him is we try and tell him that it, it equals money for him in the long run and for fifty dollars you know you can't be mad at a test so can you tell us I mean I know this is not something that we told you to prepare for but tell us how do you keep a transcript you've got two high schoolers this year right yes what do you do with that yes so again uh, i think it's something that can be super overwhelming for for parents and, and especially with that first kid so my recommendation and it would be uh it came down to me from a mama that went before me um starting about eighth grade um keep track of everything your child does uh it can be just on a, you know, a pages uh, note in your, in your computer. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. You just put, you know, fall classes, you type them all out, you give them a grade, you tell what the teacher is, just because you will forget at some point um, if they get a grade or, or something written out, printed out, keep it in a folder for them. Um, but also include things like um, maybe travels that they've taken. Did they go overseas? Did they go to a camp? Did they do anything in a leadership position? Um, are they in youth group? Are they a youth leader? Um, do they plan a worship band? Um, what do, are they doing that sets them apart from just your average high schooler? And if you start doing that in eighth grade, you will end up with a beautiful transcript that really looks different 
than most others because it just has their life laid out on a piece of paper that just kind of tells a story of who your child is becoming. We really love to ask each person who comes on our podcast this same question because the answers have really been different and encouraging. A lot of people are looking into homeschooling, especially this year. What is one piece of advice you'd give someone who's just starting on this homeschool journey? Maybe some books that you would recommend. Well, first, uh, something that I feel like I've said a thousand times uh, to parents who've you know, commented that they could never do it or that they wanted to try, but maybe not this year. Um, I always look them dead in the eye and I tell them, you can do it. You can do it. Um, It's kind of a matter of if you're willing to try. Um, And and I don't mean that ugly at all. Like I think that um, people can be discouraged and just, and think that school has to look a certain way and it just doesn't. Um, I think parents often forget that they were their kid's first teacher and that they really should be their child's primary teacher in everything. Um, And because they feel uncomfortable with certain topics or certain subjects that maybe they've forgotten, you're basically turning around and teaching your child everything you at some point knew, and um, you can relearn it again. I'm not saying that it's always easy or um, that it always, you know, it, do, it doesn't take time, but um, there's so many resources out there and there's so many people that are willing to help that anybody that is truly wanting to try, I always tell them they can do it. They can do it um, via online school. They can do it with resources that are out there. They can hire tutors. They can do it themselves. They can even, you know, do night school if they need to work during the day and, and have it look a little bit different. It doesn't have to be you know, the typical school day, um, every day. And, um, so you can do it would definitely be what I would tell them. And just not to forget that they were their, their child's first teacher. And that, um, even though, you know, maybe teaching school subjects doesn't feel natural to them, you know, being with your child all day and, and learning just right alongside them is such a beautiful thing. Okay. So, and if I were to suggest books, so this was, I'm, I, I love to read, but I also have my favorites that I just re re read all the time. So, okay. So first I think in order to homeschool, you have to have a strong marriage. So my marriage book is I Isaac take thee Rebecca by Ravi Zacharias. And it is just such a beautiful marriage book. I mean, even if you're not married, if you're engaged, if you're dating, but marriage, it can just, it's just such a beautiful book about marriage and partnership. So that is definitely my first book. And then you move on to home building because once you're married, you're going to want to build your home and kind of set a standard. So that book is The Most Important Place on Earth by Robert Wolgamuth. And it just kind of sets a standard for how to make your house, you know, look different, smell different, just be the place in the neighborhood that people want to be because there's just something different about your home. And then once the babies start coming... Um, the book that I would recommend is Give Them Grace by Elise Fitzpatrick. And it is a child-rearing book that is so simple, but yet so profound. When you read it, it just kind of changes everything you think about how you should react with your kids and how you should be willing to admit that you also sin and that you're going to go alongside them. And it's not a, I can't believe you did this, but more, hey, let's grow in this together and, and let's, let's change together. And uh, then my good old homeschooling book is Teaching Them From Rest or Teaching From Rest by Sarah McKenzie. And it's just such a classic homeschooling guide um, to just make sure that you have your life ordered in a way that you can uh, teach in the best way possible. 
And then once you get the teenagers in the house, Age of Opportunity by Paul David Tripp. And that book is just uh, a beautiful uh, journey of relating to and teaching and coming alongside your teenager um, and just really embracing the opportunity of having a teenager in the house because I think so many times people leave their teenagers alone. And I think our kids are crying as teenagers to not be left alone. And they might be crying for it in different ways. Like it might even look like rebellion or it might look different than what you think uh, it, it should look like. But our teenagers don't want to be left alone. And and um, this book, Age of Opportunity, will definitely teach you how to interact and, and continue to grow your teenagers until they're ready to leave the house. Teenagers are crying to not be left alone. It's true. That is so powerful. It's so true, though. Like, I, I, I tell you, like, the, the picture that I keep getting on, the, like, I always refer to the soccer sidelines because, like, that's where I hear the most parents. Uh, I, when I say worldly parents, you know, I'm just saying not my homeschool friends. Um, but, oh, well, you know, my kid wouldn't come out of their room because they were playing video games all day Saturday. And, the, the, oh, ha, ha, yours too. And I'm like, but that's not normal. Like, that that shouldn't be, you know? And it's like, they're just afraid. It's almost like they're checking with each other. Like, oh, your kid does that too. Okay. Well then it's normal. I'm not going to interfere because boys play video games all the time or boy, girls, you know, are going to watch movies nonstop or, or Netflix binges all weekend long is completely normal for a teenage girl. I'm just not, I'm not going to sit with her. That's her thing. She's having her time. I just think so many times people think their kids want to be left alone and they, they really don't. They want you to come alongside them. And I think sometimes that just feels foreign to people who aren't with their kids every day. Yeah. You're talking about teenagers don't want to be left alone. Talk to me a little bit about how do you transition them and teach them responsibility and chores and how how do you give them other things? Like, okay, so, so video games aren't a part of your life, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. How do you give them other things? How do you, where do you direct them? What do you do? Well, I definitely think, again, with each child, you have a different personality, you have a different set of standards. They definitely have different things that they value. And in our house, it's just kind of run on a on a maturity slash responsibility equals privilege. Um, there's definitely times that, um, you know, the responsibility and the maturity isn't showing. So there's just none of that extra privilege, whether, my, whether I'm dealing with a boy who really values staying up late. Um, you know, staying up late with the older brothers, like that's seen as a prize for my middle boy. He just, I mean, if he can stay up beyond the little boys, like um, he would do just about anything. But there are times that like his attitude during the day or or just um, his lack of, of helpfulness throughout the house just doesn't give him that privilege. And so I feel like we kind of deal with it in, in that sense. It isn't, you know, there's just kind of an unspoken rule of expectation. And, um, you know, there's definitely times where I need to speak into that and, and tell them they're not, they're not matching up to what they should be doing. And then just the privilege isn't there, you know, and, and it's, it's funny what, what is valuable to each boy. My fourth boy loves to go on bike rides with the older boys. Like they bike to the nearest bike trail and today he just wasn't able to go. He was having a really hard time kind of controlling himself and not talking back. And, Maybe to most eight-year-olds, losing a bike ride with his brothers wouldn't be a big deal. But for this particular eight-year-old, that is his gold. And um, so I kind of know how to barter with what's important to them. And I, I know my boys intimately enough that I know um, what what's special to them. And not that I try and withhold special, but 
you know, with responsibility comes privilege. And and they they kind of have that understanding down. All right. So one more question, just for fun. At this point in your homeschool mom career, I'm sure that you have figured out exactly what you can't live without. So what are your can't live without homeschool supplies? So I made a list. Yes, we Amazon love Amazon Prime. <laughs> I don't know how life happened before Amazon Prime. And during coronavirus, it really threw me off because there are so many times that a project pops up or we're out of, you know, pencils or color crayons or I mean fill in the blank Uh, my boys are done reading all the books in a series and it is so nice to not have to load up everybody to go to the store and so Amazon Prime is my number one Um, a well-stocked reading library I love that I have all boys and that I can just keep going on the same kind of feel of books like there's definitely different draws for each kid but I am never mad at having to order more books. Like anytime, you know, they've read through something, I'm always the first one on Amazon Prime again, you know, ordering up a new set of books. I love having a well-stocked library. Double-sided tape. I don't know what it is about double-sided tape, but it has saved the Carpenter family from a lot of trouble. Double-sided tape, you definitely need it. My five-year-old even asked for it in his Christmas stocking double-sided tape. He got his very own. It was a very big deal. Decent pencils, a supportive spouse, a mama who has gone before you is gold. You need a mama that's gone before you, that can teach you, that can show you it worked for her, that can give you new ideas. Um, Not that your homeschooling career is going to look at all like hers, but it's going to reflect certain things. And if you have a mama that's gone before you, it is going to it is going to help you in so many ways. My last, my most favorite is quiet time. Me and my people, we love each other, but we get sick of each other. And so I am always a fan every day if we are home. We separate. We go into different rooms. We read the little boy's nap. Even my eight-year-old naps on the days that we're home. Um, It's just, there's something beautiful about separating for a while and then coming back together. Everybody's happy to see each other again. Um, You think, you know, things are going south in the house. Oh, we'll just keep doing what we're doing. But man, the times that we've separated for an hour, it just helps everybody. So quiet time is definitely, it might not be a homeschool supply, but it's that important to me. I love your take on this. When we ask about supplies and you are just like, these, these are important to me. So maybe you can't go buy them on Amazon. You can't buy a supportive spouse on Amazon. You can, but it's still so important. It's it's that important. So I love, I love that. Kiki, thank you so much for coming to chat with us today. You have been so encouraging and gave us so many things to think about. But would you mind praying for us today? I would love to. Okay, so God, we thank you so much for this time. I thank you, God, for the opportunity that we have to talk about homeschooling, to talk about our kids, to talk about our families, to talk about things that are important to us as moms. God, I know you're in it all, and we see you in it all. And even in the hard days, God, we're so thankful for the life that you've laid out for us. So God, to everyone that's listening, I just pray, God, for direction for them. I pray for peace in their families, God. I pray that if they are considering a homeschool journey, God, that they will feel you with them in the journey. I pray, God, that they will uh, have people surround them that are supportive, people that are around them, God, that can offer help and assistance. God, I pray that they'll never feel alone. I pray, God, that um, 
that if homeschooling is um, the answer for their family, God, that they will always feel confident in their decision and that God, that they will always have you right with them. And God, I pray for just the school system, God, as we go, um, continue to go through the summer, God, and we look towards um, even the public schools and their decisions, God, I cannot imagine being one of those people in power. I wouldn't want it for all the world. And so God, I just pray for them. I pray God that they will make the right decisions for the area that they're over. I pray that they'll make the right decisions, God, that protect the children and that protect the teachers, but that also fosters uh, school and learning and all of the things that um, the kids and the, and the teachers and the staff have missed over these last months, God. I just pray protection over hearts and protection over minds and protection of fear and um, just that you will be in it all, God. We see you. We know that you're in it, God. It's not, none of it is a surprise to you, God. It's all just a puzzle to us, God, but you see it all and we're thankful for that. So we trust you and we thank you and be with everyone tonight, God. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you were blessed and encouraged by today's episode. Make sure you check the show notes for links to everything that we talked about in today's episode. And make sure you check us out on social media at the Deeply Rooted Homeschool.